0: Welcome to Redemption Church. You're listening to our weekly podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Well, guess what book of the Bible we're still in? James. James. This is week 14 of 15-week series through the book of James. You're reading, you're like, it's only five chapters. How are we going to do 14 weeks over James? Um, it's been great, it's been a lot of fun, and we're going to continue our study in the book of James today, so if you've got your Bibles, go ahead and turn me to James chapter 5, verse 7, that's where we're going to start off, I'm going to pray, and then we're going to dive right in, cool? Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your son Jesus, Lord, that Jesus entered into this life to live this life in every way that we have, minus one part, that he was without sin that Jesus knows our suffering, that Jesus experienced our hurts, that Jesus deals with our hardships, that Jesus was betrayed and that Jesus was denied, and that Jesus walked through this life every way, yet He did it without sin. I I thank You for that, that our God is no stranger to difficulty, our God is no stranger to suffering, but rather He enters into our suffering so that way we would have strength. We pray that the Holy Spirit would, would comfort those in this room, no matter where they're at, no matter where they're walking through in their life, no matter what's going on, that they would be comforted. And we pray all of this in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. How many of you ever played the game Jenga? Right? Play the game Jenga? Yeah, I'm pretty sure most of us have played the game Jenga, especially when we were kids. When we were kids, it was a lot of fun to play the game Jenga. How did you play Jenga? Right? you got to pull a piece off from the bottom, maybe the middle or maybe the side, and then you what? You put it on top. So I got this nice life-size Jenga thing here. I'm going to attempt to do a sermon illustration. We'll see how this goes. So what do you do? You pull a piece off of the, the middle or the side. Oh, there, oh, that one's probably still too low. Ah, uh, there we go. Point piece off the middle. Put it on top. Sounds simple enough, right? When we're kids, we love to play the game Jenga, but you need to know this, that when you become adults, Life is a lot like Jenga. But instead of blocks, what we have, what we have is burdens. Okay, hey, let me give you an example. Let's say you get a job. Awesome. Got a job. Oh, got fired. Oh, there's a burden right there. Let's say you get married. Yay! Oh, got in a fight. Let's say you get a car. That sounds like a good day. And then, got in a rack. There's another burden. Let's say you find a new church. Awesome. Love my church. Love my church. And then you get in a fight, and now you've got to find a new church. Okay, well, um, teacher calls. Parents, teacher conference. Kids got sent home from school again. There's another burden. And then life, slowly but surely, it begins to pile up. That we all have our hurts, we all have our hardships, we all have our of our burdens in life, and what happens is we become overworked, overwhelmed, and then everything eventually comes crashing down. That's life. That life can be a sense of blessings, but it can also be a sort of of a burden. That in life you can have you can have great joy, but you can also experience great suffering. Anyone ever feel that? Anyone ever experienced that? How many of you are right there right, right now? Okay, yeah. Then you're in the perfect place to learn from Pastor James. Pastor James was no stranger to suffering. In fact, James experienced a lot of suffering. And, and what I want you to know is that when we, when we go through sections of Scripture like we are today, that these aren't best guesses. These aren't hypothetical situations or scenarios that James is that James is thinking about in regards to to suffering, that verses like we're going to study today are born from a profound place of pain, that James suffered, that James struggled. And so James knows what he's talking about because James is a pastor of a large network of churches in the city of Jerusalem. And, And the church of Jerusalem was experiencing profound places of persecution and pain and hurts and hardships in their life. And it led to something that is known as the diaspora, or basically that they were dispersed the amount of suffering which they experienced became so great that many of them had to leave their homes. They would have to leave their families, their jobs, their livelihoods, and they would have to start their life all over again from scratch. Some of them moved to different towns, different cities, some in the mountainsides, some in the hillsides, but they basically, they had nothing. And so they understand this persecution and then James decides that he's going to stay in the capital city of Jerusalem to encourage the church and maintain a continual presence in that city. But the Jenga life... The Jenga pieces of life continue to build up against him and eventually the persecution became so strong that James was murdered. James was martyred for his faith in the midst of the persecution that he faced. Now here's what you need to know. James has a big brother. What's, What's James' brother's name? Jesus. James would have learned most of this from his brother Jesus. That James watched Jesus suffer. That throughout Jesus' life, whether he was homeless or whether he was poor whether he was denied by his followers, whether he was betrayed by his friends, whether he was ridiculed by the crowds that gathered around him, whether he was arrested or tried, falsely accused, that Jesus was crucified, Jesus was murdered. James watched Jesus suffer, but James also watched Jesus rise from the grave. And and it wasn't just the, the suffering, but it was the subsequent resurrection that led James to become a Christian. And here's what I find amazing. Is that James didn't become a Christian because of, the, because of the miracles? It wasn't Jesus' miracles that caused James to believe. It wasn't the healing of the sick or the lame. It wasn't feeding the 5,000. And it wasn't that, that, that he turned water into wine. That's, that's not the reason that James believed. And James didn't believe in Jesus because he loved the unlovable. It wasn't because he saw him hang out with prostitutes and paralytics and welcoming the children. That's not the reason that James becomes a Christian. And it's also not the reason that James becomes a Christian because of Jesus' teachings. It wasn't the parables. It wasn't his um, profound insight on the law and the prophets. It wasn't his discourse with the Pharisees. That's not the reason that James becomes a Christian either. James only becomes a Christian after experiencing the suffering and the resurrection of Jesus. And throughout Jesus' life, he says some amazing things in regards to suffering. Here's one of my favorite. Here's what Jesus teaches in Matthew chapter 11. Some of you may have heard this. Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. Jesus says, Come to me, all who are labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle. He's gentle and he is lowly in heart, he is humble. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, my burden is light. And so Jesus is saying that when life is piling up, when, when, when the burden seems unbearable, when you want to give up, when you want to give in, when you want to quit, when you don't think that you can go another minute, another moment, Jesus says, come to me and I will give you rest. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And what Jesus is not saying is that He's going to completely take away your suffering. Jesus is not going to teach you how to avoid it or how to escape it, but rather the Bible teaches us how to embrace it. How to embrace our suffering and how to use our suffering because God doesn't bring you around it, but rather God will bring you through it. And many of us, we want if, if you suffer. No, that's not how it works. Okay, it's not a matter of if, it's a, it's a matter of how. It's not if you suffer. The question is, how will you suffer? Because the truth is, we will all suffer in this life. That nobody escapes Genesis chapter 3 without suffering. We will all suffer. We will all have hurts. We will all have hardships. So it's not a matter of if. It's a matter of how. And here's the good news. If you're a Christian, you don't suffer alone. If you're a Christian, you never suffer alone because Jesus is always right there with you. That Jesus is always walking beside you. That Jesus is always shouldering the the burdens. Jesus is always bearing the load. Jesus is always believing with you. Jesus is always hoping with you. Jesus is always serving you. Jesus is always right there walking with you. And so if you're a Christian, you never, you never suffer alone. And that's good news. And I believe that this is what Jesus teaches. And this verse is in the back of James' mind as as he's writing to encourage his church who are in the midst of profound suffering. And so the bold word from Pastor James today is going to, be about, it's going to be about suffering. And today, Pastor James is going to give us five keys to suffering. And I want to be upfront with you. You're not going to like them. But you are going to need them. And so here are the five keys in which Pastor James teaches about suffering. Started in chapter 5, verse 7. Here's what he says. Be patience oh crap right patience right patient that's that's not where I want to start how many of you were not hoping he would start with patience yeah we tend not to be a very patient people okay the whole existence of our life is built around two main concepts comfort and speed okay we want what we want and we want it Five minutes ago. We want to be comforted. right? We, we want to be entertained. Change the channel. Somebody come and bring me some food. Make two drive-through lines so we can get our food faster. We want comfort and we want speed. We want what we want and we want it because this is our best life and this has to happen now. We tend not to be very patient people, but some of you, you have a little bit more patience. Some of you are probably a lot like my wife. My wife tends to have more patience than, than I do and she has to be patient because she's married to me. Um, And she doesn't really, that was a joke. Okay. And thank you. Um, right. She doesn't really get in a hurry. She doesn't really get rushed. She's like, we'll get there when we get there. So she doesn't stress out. She doesn't freak out. And she tends to sleep better at night um, because she is patient. Now, others of you, you're like me. Okay. You yell at the microwave for taking too long. If a YouTube video takes longer than three seconds, right, I'll throw that phone across the room and I'm reading Lamentations in the Fetal Position, lamenting my suffering because I tend not to be very patient. And so some of you, some of you are like me. And so Pastor James is writing to us who says, okay, okay, we need to learn, we need to learn how to be patient. In the midst of our suffering, the key to suffering, he's going to tell us, is patience. And so you're thinking, okay, be patient. I'm going to be patient. I'm going to be patient. Be patient, be patient, be patient. Time's up. How long? How long do I need to be patient? How long should I wait? And then Pastor James says this, until the coming of the Lord. Just so you know, that's a long time. right? The coming of the Lord, you're like, I'm going to be patient. How long do I need to be patient? Until Jesus comes back. Yeah, it's going to be a while. Grab a helmet, buckle up. We're in this for the long run. Until the coming of the Lord. Now you need to know this. James wrote this book, 2,000 years ago, and for the last 2,000 years, the the heart and the mind of the Christian has been eagerly anticipating, patiently waiting, focused towards one single event, the coming of the Lord. My little girl, she turned um, one this week, and uh, she just started walking, more like stumbling, but she's getting the hang of it, And, and she loves to get into everything. She loves to play, um, she, she loves to, to, to explore, she loves to crawl up the stairs, like that's what she wants to do, and so she loves to explore, but, but she hates taking her nap. And we know that we have to put her down for a nap, and so she wrestles us, she fights us, and she cries because she doesn't want to take the nap, and so, um, but we know it's good for her, and so we put her down in the crib, and now when she was a littler, it was easy for us to put her down for a nap, we just kind of swallow her up, put her in there, turn off the light, put some white noise on our phone, walk out the room, She's done. Easy, but now that she's one, mm, no, that's not how it works. It's it's fighting. Um, it, it, she's screaming, like she's grabbing on the sides. Anytime you try to walk out the room, she she hops right back up. And so it's about 15 minutes of me going, okay, no baby, it's going to be okay. Rubbing her back, patting her back. We're still going to be here when you wake up. Life goes on. Just because you don't see us doesn't mean we don't exist. Okay, just pat her on the back, rub her, And then eventually she she falls asleep. And now we know that she needs to take about three one hour naps throughout the course of the day for her for her body to grow. So so we put her down for a nap. She's out. And this gives me and Ashley about 45 minutes to do the things around the house that we need to do. Maybe sweep, maybe mop, maybe run a load of laundry, maybe do some dishes, maybe have a conversation. That would be nice. Parents, you know what I'm talking about, right? And, And so inevitably, here's what happens. She wakes up and she wakes up too early. She'll only be asleep for about 15 minutes. And then, and then she's up. And she wants, to, she wants to get out. She wants to go play. She wants, to, she wants me to come and get her. And she begins to cry out for me. But as her father, I know, it's not time. So here's what we do. Nothing. And Don't judge me, right? We, we let her cry it out. You know you did the same thing as parents. It's, it's a thing, and so we let her cry it out. And eventually she gets tired. Eventually she, she lays down. Eventually she, she, she goes back to sleep. And so we, we know, okay, this is the time in which she's going to sleep. And so um, as she goes back to sleep, the full hour's up, and then she wakes up, and then she's, she's ready to get out. Now, for her, this feels like forever. As her father, I know it's only been a few minutes. And, and so I know it's time. And so as the father, I go up to her room, I, I open the door, and then I, um, I see her crying. She's, she's holding on to the rails. She's jumping up and down. She wants me to get her. She's crying. And, and I pick her up and I, I pull her into my arms and I, and I give her a kiss and I, I pat her head and then I, I wipe the tears from her face. And I hold her in my arms. That's the Christian life. That is the Christian life. That we cry out to our Father because we know that our Dad is coming to get us. And that we continually call out to Him because one day He will come for us. That we're waiting for the day of the Lord. That is the Christian life. And the Apostle John gives us a, a beautiful insight into to what this day looks like. And he, he tells us in the book of Revelation, chapter 4, it says, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and that death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. That there will be a day where every tear you cried will be wiped from your face. There will be a day that every hurt you experienced will be healed. There will be a day that death no longer has a hold on you. There will be a day where sin and suffering no longer affect you. That loss, that doubt, that death, that disease, that cancer, that hurts, that hardships, that suffering, one day will cease and we'll be face to face with our risen Lord in the arms of our Father. And so James is saying... Be patient. That day is coming. You're closer now than you were the day that you walked into this room. Be patient, don't lose hope. Hang on. Our Lord is coming for us. So he says that we need to be patient. And then he goes on to a second point. And this is what James says next. He says that you need to be patient. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until he receives the early and late rains. Now, here's what, I don't know if you can tell just by looking at me, but um, I don't know a lot about farming. Okay? It's not like I spent a lot of time learning about um, rural agricultural farming and farming illustrations from 2,000 years ago. I, I don't really have a lot of insight on the farming, but here's, here's what I do know. Farming takes work. And that farmers are hard workers. It's not like farmers are like, eh, I think I'm going to take a personal day today. Farmers don't call in sick. right? They, they don't play hooky. They don't retire early. You know what farmers do? Farmers work. That all of their energy, all of their effort is devoted to one thing. Work. And James is saying salvation takes work. And so we need to be patient with it. Because salvation takes, takes work. Now there's three processes of salvation. There is justification, sanctification, and glorification okay, big words let me explain it Um, justification is this the moment that um, you surrender your life to Jesus the blood of Jesus covers your life He's atoned for your sins and then you've been made reconciled to the Father declared righteous you're justified you're saved and then there's glorification on the other end this is when we're with Him forever after the day of the Lord where we have our resurrected bodies in the new heavens new earth we're in His glory forever glorified Justification, glorification, and those are the two parts that we typically talk about the most in the church. And so we'll say things like this, give your life to Jesus and go to heaven, yay, right, justification, glorification, but there is another part that we typically overlook, and that, that part's called sanctification, and here's what sanctification is. Sanctification is all about life. Okay, what do we do in the meantime? What do we do in the middle? What do we do in this moment? How do we live Now? That's what sanctification is about. Sanctification is all about what God is working on in your life. How many know life is very important? Anyone think that? It's amazing that we skip the whole life part when it comes to the church, but God is wanting to work in your life, and that takes sanctification. And here's what I love about James. It doesn't matter um, who you are or or where you're at on the continuum of faith. That that you can be a, a brand new Christian, or you can be a seasoned saint, it doesn't matter, James is coming for you. That James doesn't hold anything back. James is always just being very bold and James is being very honest with you and, and James is coming for all of us. If you, if you seriously can, can read the book of James and, and you're going through it and you're like, nailed it. Okay, then you haven't read the book of James. Okay, James is going to get you, no matter where you're at, you could be a brand new Christian or you could be a seasoned saint and you can still see that there's a lot of work to be done. Uh, my, my grandparents, who, who are members here at Redemption, they have loved the Lord for as long as I can remember, following Jesus for some 50 or 60 years. And every single um, week when we go over to their house and we, we eat dinner on, on Sundays and we talk about the sermon and, and what we learned, and they're always like, Byron, I'm so thankful for the book of James. I, I'm so thankful because I'm, I'm encouraged, I'm challenged, I'm convicted, but he's also teaching me so much. And my grandmother told me, she said, Byron, I love this because it, it's shown me that there's always... There's always work to be done. That there's always room. See, you could be following Jesus for a day and you and, and you'll read the book of James, and some of you will give your life to Jesus today. And you'll read the book of James and you'll think, I don't know how to do that. There's a lot of things, there's a lot, there's a long way to go. There's a lot of work to be done. And you know what? That's true. But you can also be following Jesus for 60 years and then you read the book of James and you're going to be like, there is a long way to go. There's still a lot of work to be done. And that's what James is saying. You need to be patient because salvation takes work. And salvation is a long way to go. Thinking about patience, um, what's the one question that drives parents crazy? Say, Say kids are on a road trip, dad's driving, kids are sitting in the back seat. What's the question that kids always ask? Are we there yet? Like they, like they don't know the answer. Okay, are are we there yet? I was like, no. Are are we there yet? No. Are we there yet? No. Are we there yet? No. Are we there yet? Yes. Really? No. See, that's what trouble teaches us. Trouble teaches us that we're not there yet, but one day we will be. That God is always working on us. That God is always working in us. That God is always working through us, and God is always working for us. So we need to be patient because God's not done. God's not finished with you. And that God is always working in your life. And now you can hear this and you can be very discouraged. And and you can think, you mean, I can give my life to Jesus and I I, I can serve Him and I can join a community group and I I can join the serve team and I can pray and I can read my Bible and I can memorize verses and you mean, after doing all of that, I'm still never going to be perfect? Yes. Well, then what's the point? Why bother? Why even try? Why... Why make such a big deal of this? Why all the work? And you can hear this and you can get very discouraged. But my prayer is that you'll hear this and you'll be very encouraged. And that that you hear this and you say, you mean there's always more room to grow? There's always more things to learn. There's always next steps in following Jesus. There's always more people to serve. There's always more community groups to launch. There's always more missionaries to send. There's always more ties to be given. There's always more churches to plant. There's always deeper affection and deeper realization about how much God loves me and that no matter how much I mess up, God's always going to be there for me and He's never going to leave me. Yes, sign me up. That's what I want. So you don't need to be discouraged. You need to be encouraged. And you need to be patient because God's not finished with you, and your story is not over, and God is still working. And so we need to be patient in the middle. James continues next with this third point. And and here, guess what he's going to say? Be patient. You're starting to see the theme, amen? He says to be patient. He moves on to his third point and says, you also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. Here's what I've discovered. That as um, my my stress levels go up, my patience runs out. Anybody else? Stress goes up, patience runs out. And then we begin to take it out on the people who are closest to us. Let's just say like this. Um, One area of your life overflows into the other aspects and areas of your life. So let's say emotionally. Okay, you're maxed out. You're, de- you're depleted. Emotionally, you're always on edge. Well, that's going to affect the other aspects of your life. Okay, Physically, you're always tired. Well, that's going to affect all the other aspects of your life. Spiritually, you're disconnected from the Lord. Well, of course, that's going to affect the other aspects of your life. And then relationally, that relationally begins to, to overflow and then it begins to pour out and then you begin to take it out on the people who are closest to you. And not that you mean to, and not that you want to be mean, but because they're always right there, right, they tend to catch the brunt of all of your burdens. And that's exactly what's happening in James' church. And this is the reason that James says this James says, Do not grumble. That word grumble, argue, backbite, um, uh, gossip, complain, criticize. Don't fight against one another. He says, do not grumble against one another. And I have a a pastor friend who who always tells me this. He says, hurt people hurt people. That when you and I are hurt, the natural tendency that we have is to to carry that hurt and then to unleash it on the people around us. Because hurt people hurt people. And that's exactly what's happening in James' church. Do you remember back at the beginning of the sermon where I said, About the diaspora, about how basically the suffering and pain became so strong that they had to leave their homes and they had to leave their families and all of their livelihoods and their jobs and they had to start over from scratch. What was happening was they were wounded so deeply, they were treated so poorly, they were hurt so badly that they carried that hurt with them where they went and eventually they took it out on the people close to them. That they carried their pain and their suffering with them and that became their reality. And they began to treat others the same way that they had been treated. This is the reason for the fights and the quarrels. This is the reason for the war, for the, for the racism, for the sexism, for the classism, for the oppression by the, the rich against the poor. This is the reason for all of that. Is because hurt people hurt people. And so James says, we need to be patient with one another. And then he gives us this really beautiful word. He says, do not grumble against one another, brothers, sisters. He's reminding us that that we're a family. That when you give your life to Jesus, you're adopted into the family of God. That, That God becomes our Father and that Jesus is our big brother and that you and I, we become brothers and sisters. That we become the family of God. That we become children of God and that we become heirs with Christ. He's saying, brothers, sisters, we're family. We're in this We're in this together. And that when one of you hurts, we all hurt. And that when one of you suffers, we all suffer. And what God is wanting to do is He's wanting to use our suffering to create this new community. A community of people who love and care and serve because we're patient with one another. And the fact that God has been patient towards us, true or false? God has been very patient towards you. True. God also expects us to be patient towards one another. And what this does is it allows you to see that you're not the only one having a bad day. You're not the only one who's had a rough week. You're not the only one who's had a tough life. Okay, There are other people who are hurting. There are other people who are suffering. There are other people who are in need. And so God is wanting to bring us together to create this new community. And in order for that to happen, we need to be patient with one another and James says, the judge is at the door. And okay, it's very interesting that he would say that because James is pointing us back to Jesus, saying that Jesus will return and the judge is at the door. It means it's Jesus' job to judge. And here's what we know. We don't know when Jesus is going to come back. We don't know how long. We don't know where it's going to be. It could be today. It could be tomorrow. It could be 500 years from now. We, we don't know when Jesus is going to come back. But here's what we do know. It's close. That means there's not enough time for us to be fighting against one another. There's not enough time for us to be attacking one another. There's not enough time for us to be taking it out on other people. Because the Lord has given us a mission. The Lord has given us a call. The Lord has given us a purpose. And it's not to attack one another. One of the saddest things that I see um, so often in the church is that um, people come into the church oftentimes with their own hurts, that they've been mistreated at another church or, or, or something has happened or someone said something. And so, so they leave and they come into the church and all they want to do is find fault. And They begin to find faults in everything and everyone else. And they, they come in and they say, oh, I can't believe that they would say that. I, I can't believe they would do that. Did you see what they were wearing? Did you see the way they raised their kids? I heard that they got a divorce. The band was too loud. The, they played too long. The pastor wears all black. His sermons are so long. I don't know. I think there's something wrong with these people. I'm never coming back there again. Okay, I get it. We're not perfect. But then again, neither are you. Jesus says that it's his job to judge. Which means that for us as Christians, it's our job to love. And so the church should be a place to where people can walk in and they can be encouraged, not discouraged where people will be built up and not beat up, that people will be helped and people would not be hurt. And that's what God desires for a church to be, that anyone and everyone can come in and they can be welcomed and they can be, they can be comforted and they can be encouraged and they can be loved and they can be served because it's Jesus' job to judge, church. It's our job to love. He says, Behold the judge is at the door. We don't know how long it's going to be, but right now, God has called us to do this and so we must remain patient. And we also, we must remain faithful. And so how many of you would love to be a part of a church that looks like that? Raise your hand. You'd love to be a part of a church that looks like that? So how do we do that? What does that look like? What does that mean for us? How could Redemption Church be the type of church that James dreams of? He uses a very important and powerful word here. He says that we need to establish our hearts. So, so what does that mean? Some of your translation says that we should strengthen our hearts. I'll give you an illustration from over the summer. Um, over the summer, just to be honest with you, I, I got I got kind of depressed. Okay, no real reason. It was just kind of out of the blue seasonal depression. I was just really discouraged, and I was just very, I was just very down. And I started to take it out on my family, and um, I started to take it out on the church and other people who are on the serve team. and um, And I, I determined I need to do something about that. And, and so I, I decided that I was going to start exercising. Um, I wanted to get out of the house. I wanted to go for runs. I wanted to start working out um, because. I think that would be a good stress relief for me. And so, so that's exactly what I did. And here's what I learned. Three things. Um, uh, diet, exercise, rest. That if I kind of watch what I eat and if I exercise on a regular basis and I get enough sleep at night, eventually my, my body and my mind, they become strengthened. And then it took a couple of weeks, maybe a couple of months, and eventually I, I pulled out of it. But I had to establish my body and I had to establish my mind. And the Bible has the same thing for your heart. That word heart, it means the, the center, the seat, the source of who you are as a person. And here's what the Bible teaches, that when your heart is weak, it's prone to sin and to selfishness. That weak hearts are prone towards sin and selfishness. And suffering people tend to be selfish people. And so what, what James is saying is that you need to establish your heart. You need to strengthen your heart. And so here's, here's five ways in which you can strengthen your heart. First, first is this, okay, read your Bible. Read your Bible. I tell you this all the time, and it's so important. I think I'll tell you again. You need to read your Bible. This word is the greatest source of strength that we have in our life. That this word is our strength, and this word is the supreme authority in the life of the Christian. And that as Christians, we are people of the book. And so we, we, need, our, our, we need to read our Bible. And some of you, you're going through really hard times. And you're like, if I could only have a word from the Lord, you do. It's your Bible. When you need a word from God, all you need to do is read the word of God. That God speaks to us. That God tells us who He is. We don't have to guess. We don't have to speculate. We don't have to wonder about who God is. God has perfectly revealed Himself to us through His word. And for when we're suffering, we need to read the Bible. Here's what I do know. Um, many of you are, are, are very discouraged in life. And you're confused. And you don't know what to do. But I also talk to you enough to know this, that many of us are not reading our Bibles. And I love you, and I want to be your pastor, and I want to serve you, but I have to ask this question. Do you not think that those two are connected? That you don't know what to do because you don't know what God says? You don't know who you are because you're not reading God's Word. Do you not think that those two might be connected? And so I would, I would encourage you Read your Bible. Read the Word of the Lord. God is speaking to you. God is talking to you. If we could just slow down and listen to Him, He will give us strength. He will establish your heart. And the second thing is this. Pray it out. Okay, you, you just got to go to God. Sometimes you just got to pray it out. And, and, and know this. Um, there's no problem that you're going through that is bigger than God. Okay, there's no person, there's no problem that God's like, I created the universe, but I can't handle that right? You got yourself in that situation. Woo, pretty tough. Yeah, I, I, can't, I, I can't deal with that. No, God can. God will. God is able. So sometimes we just need to, to pray it out. God is big enough from our problems. And here's what we need to do. We need to take it to the Lord so we don't take it out on others. If we take it to the Lord, we're not going to take it out on others. And so you need, to, you need to pray it out. And here's what I mean. I want you to pray honest prayers. Honest prayers. Some of us, some of us pray, we, we pray systematic theologies. We're, we're like, dearest triune father, and the propitiation of our sins with the hermeneutical guides of no, don't do that. Hey, some of you you pray King James prayers. You're like, I beseecheth thee, O heavenly Father, because my life is sucketh, right? Don't, don't do that either. God is not impressed by your lengthy and your verbose prayers. You know what God loves? Honesty. God loves an honest prayer. Here's a a great picture of an honest prayer. Help! Lord, help! God, where are you? God, what are you doing? God, where are you at? God, I'm angry. God, I'm exhausted. God, I'm frustrated. God, the pieces of life are piling up and I don't know what to do and I don't know where to turn. God, help! That's the prayer God hears. God loves it when you come to Him. And when you're honest and when you're vulnerable, God listens, God responds, God hears your prayers. And so you need to pray it out. Take it to the Lord so you're not taking it out on the other people. He's big enough for that. Then three, worship the Lord. Sometimes I just got to worship the Lord. I'm like, I'm done. I'll see you guys later. And, and I, I put in my, my headphones, and I, and I love to go for a walk. I put on some worship music, and I walk around my neighborhood. And my neighbors probably think I'm crazy. They're like, what is that guy doing? That's his third lap around the block. Who's he yelling at? What's going on? And I'm like, you know what? I just, I just have to change the scenery. I just have to change the pace. I have to have a change of perspective. And so, so I like to go for walks and worship the Lord. Sometimes I just get in my car and drive to Louisiana and turn around and get back. I'm just like, I need some time. And so I worship the Lord. And here's why this is so powerful for you. Because worship takes our eyes off of the situation and puts them on our Savior. No matter the circumstance, no matter the situation, it takes our eyes off of that and puts it back on our Savior. You say, Lord, you are good. Lord, Lord, you are glorious. Lord, you are worthy. Lord, Lord, you are holy. Lord, you are gracious. And I know that everything's falling down around me, but you are my source of strength. It takes your eyes off of the situation and puts them back upon our Savior. So you need a word to worship the Lord. And then, this isn't so important. Get in community. I can't tell you how necessary this is for the Christian life, that you would be in community. Because here's what I know. That, that when we're suffering, our natural tendency is to retreat. Our natural tendency is to isolate. That was, that was Adam and Eve's sin, right? When they sin, what's the first thing do. they do? They hid. That's still ours. Our, our response is to, to isolate. Here's, here's typically what we do. When, when hurting, when suffering happens, we're like, to hell with all of you. I'm, I'm going home. I'm getting under the covers. I'm turning on Netflix. And, and you can call me when the rapture happens because until then, I'm done. Anybody else? We tend to isolate and, and retreat. But here's what God calls us to do. To get in community. God doesn't call us to live life alone. God calls us to live life in community. One of the greatest sources of strength that you have in this life are other people. When they pray for you, when they encourage you in your community group, when they're walking with you through difficulties and you say, I'm hurting, and they say, me too. That's how we establish our hearts with other people. And then number five, serve someone else. My pastor always told me this. You minister out of your need. And so if there's a place where you're struggling, that might be where God has called you to serve. That, that might be where God has called you to serve, that you minister out of your, of your need, and so you get involved. And you surround yourself with other people who are involved, and what it does is it, it allows you to take a step back, it allows you to see that, oh, I'm not the only person in the universe the world doesn't revolve around me, and that there are other people who are hurting, and then it enables you to, to love and to care and to participate and to, to serve other people. And this is the way that God uses our suffering to create a new community. So it needs to be patient. Be patient with one another as you've received patience from the Lord, because God is working, the Lord is coming, and God is establishing a new community. So James says for us to be. Patience And James moves on to his fourth key. The key to suffering is, guess what it is? Guess what it is? It's Patience. Ah, oh, you guys are so good. Here's what he says. He needs, as an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remained steadfast. Steadfast is another form of patience. It means long suffering. Patience suffering. Wow, look at that. Steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job. And you have seen the purposes of the Lord, that the Lord is compassionate and the Lord is merciful. And so here James is encouraging his church. So he's sitting down with them and he said, saying, okay, look, I know that you're hurting. I know that you're suffering. I know that it's very difficult right now. I know that you're going through a really hard time. But when I see you, man, I'm just so encouraged. I'm reminded of the prophets and Job. I don't think that's a compliment. <laughs> I mean, have you, have you read the Bible? Have you read the Old Testament? Are you familiar with the prophets and Job? If there's um, any person that I don't want to be compared to in this life, it's the prophets and Job. Okay, just so you know, it, it didn't end well for them. We'll start with the prophets, okay? Um, the prophet Jeremiah, was a prophet of the Lord. Uh, Jeremiah said this, um, uh, the worst day of my life was the day that I was born. That's pretty bad. Right, when the first day is the worst day, you know that it's, it's been pretty rough. He was super depressed. He was always discouraged. He never got married. He was never allowed to have any fun. Jeremiah really didn't do anything, and he cursed the day that his mother ever gave birth to him. Anybody else? Jeremiah? What about Ezekiel? God had, it's really interesting, God had um, Ezekiel cook his food over feces. You're like, oh yeah, I got it pretty tough. Ezekiel's life. And then Isaiah, um, he, he prophesied the birth of the Lord 700 years before Jesus was born. Prophet Isaiah, sawn in half. So consider yourself to be the prophets. right? Not, not very encouraging. Um, let's see how we rank on the life of the prophets. let okay, just just boost our self-esteem a little bit. Um, here's what the author of Hebrews has to say about the life of the prophets. Let's just see where we're at on this. It says, Some were tortured, check, refusing to accept release, check, so that they might be risen again to a better life. Others suffered mocking, check, flogging, check, chains, imprisonment, check. They were stoned, check. They were sawned in two, double check. Um, They were killed with a sword, check. Um, They went about in skins and sheeps and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, check, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in the dens and in the caves of the earth the life of a prophet how many of you are very encouraged right now you're like i read the i want to be a prophet i love to be a prophet that sounds like a lot of fun no you didn't sign up to be a prophet so what about what about job you think job had any better right obviously job's got to be very hopeful what do we have in job please please tell me about tell me about this man named job okay now here's what i know when we are hurting and we do turn to the bible here's what we typically do we turn to the verses that give us comfort. So, so we think, okay, Romans chapter 8, I am more than a conqueror. Yes, Philippians 4.13. Okay, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. John 3.16, that, that, that God so loved the world that he gave. What does Jeremiah 29.11 say? What is the verse of the day on the Bible app? Fearfully and wonderfully made. Thank you, Lord. You know what we don't do? Read Job. We don't read, we don't read Job. Why would we do that? I would encourage all of you to go home this week and read the book of Job. It's a pretty long book, and so it might take you a while, but it is, it is a very worthwhile read. And so in the meantime, uh, let me just give you the cliff notes. So Job was a very righteous man. Job was very godly. The Bible tells us that um, his sons and daughters, he had 10, uh, they, they, they loved to throw parties. Uh, and, and so they liked to throw these big parties. And, um, and Job was worried that maybe one of his kids sinned. And so he wanted to make a sacrifice on their behalf just to be sure, because that's the kind of guy Job was. Job was an amazing husband. He was a good father. He was a business owner. He was very wealthy. He was very successful. And and Job loved the Lord dearly. And Job had everything. Until one day he lost everything. That Job went from having it all in a single day, nothing. Okay, the Bible tells us that in one day, all 10 of his kids. Died. Parents, I want you to feel that. Think about that. Not just one, and some of you have lost one, and so you know that pain. But imagine all ten in a single day gone. The Bible also tells us that that same day he lost all of his livelihood, that his livestock, dead, his crops, his farms, his fields, dead. He was bankrupt. He was broke. Nothing. And then another day, um, the Bible tells us he broke out in boils and sores all over his body. That he was covered in excruciating pain. That there was no respite. There was no relief for the things that he was experiencing. That's what's happening to Job. That Job is in profound suffering. The only thing that Job didn't lose, two things. Friends and his wife. Okay, His friends, not a lot of help. His wife, not much better. Okay, his friends... Bible school dropouts with terrible theology. Here's what they thought. They thought, well, good things happen to good people. Bad things happen to bad people. And Job, there's a lot of bad things happening to you, so you must be a bad person. What did you do to make God angry at you, Job? Thank you. We're going to call you forward for prayer after the end because you're a great help for the rest of us. That's what they thought. They thought bad things happen to bad people, and because a lot of bad things are happening to you, God must be very angry at you. Now some of you, that's what you think in regards to suffering. That's your understanding or theology of, of suffering, that if something is happening to you, there must be some reason that God is smiting you, that God is angry at you, that God is punishing you. What did you do? Some of you, that's where you go. Did you see no? Know, not true. What about Job's wife? She had to been a lot more help, right? not so much so so one day job is sitting in sackcloth and ashes a pile um, and he's covered in sores and he's scratching and he's itching and he's got shards of clay and pottery and he's just going trying to itch trying to scratch what's happening and there's no relief for him and job's wife walks in he says are you still sitting there in your integrity why don't you just curse god and die thanks babe Thank you. love you. That's amazing. I love you. But some of you, that's what, that's what you think too. That's your theology. That when you're hurting and when you're suffering, God, I didn't sign up for this. God, this is not what I wanted. God, this is not the way I planned my life to be. You must have forsaken me. You've abandoned me. You've forgotten your promises to me. God, God, you've turned your back on me, so I quit. I'm going, to, I'm, going quit. I'm going to quit. I'm going to quit reading my Bible. I'm going to quit praying. I'm going to quit community group, serve team. I'm going to quit the church. I'm going to quit God. Some of you, that's where you go. That when life is hard, you bail. Just so you know, that's, that's not true either. So what's, what's really happening? Why is James giving us this as a sort of encouragement? Well, in the Bible, when you read it, it gives us this great insight into the book of Job, where the curtain of reality is pulled back and we catch a glimpse into heaven, and what we see is that God Himself is not the, the main source of Job's suffering, but rather Satan is. And Satan made a wager with God that, that if God would remove His blessings, that Job would curse Him. And so God relented, God agreed, removed His blessings, and, and then all of this happened to Job. But Job never wavered. Through all of this, through the, through the, through the suffering, right, through the pain, through the hardships, Job never wavered. Did he wrestle? Yes. Did he he complain? Yes. Did did he struggle? Yes. Did he suffer? Yes. Did he doubt God? Yes. Did he deny God? No. That even in the, the greatest moment of suffering in his life, Job turned to the Lord. Job trusted the Lord. Job worshipped the Lord. The Bible gives us this beautiful picture of God in the midst of our sufferings. And so why does James say the prophets and Job? Well, one reason, no matter how bad you got it, and some of us, we got it pretty bad. You're not them. Praise the Lord. You're not the prophets and, and, and you're not Job. But here's, here's what he's getting at. He says, mercy and compassion. That God is merciful towards us. That He loves us and He cares for us and he, he's, he's there for us. He doesn't leave us in that moment. And then He's compassionate. That He's drawing near us. He's, he's calling us. He is serving us. He is compassionate towards us. That God has not forgotten you and God has not abandoned you. See, see the prophets, they knew that. The prophets knew that I, I've been called to the Lord to, to serve in this way. And so I'm going to be passionate. I'm going to be purposeful. And I'm going to hold on to the, the promises of the Lord. And then they received their reward. Because the Lord was merciful towards them. And, and Job, God was compassionate to Job. That at the end of his life, Job was healed. His wealth was restored. His his health was restored. That God was compassionate towards Job. And here's why this is good news for us as Christians. Because we know how the story ends. We know how the story ends. And some of you, you need to be patient in the midst of your suffering because you think that, that, that God is finished with you. That's not true. Your story is not over. That God is still writing your story. That God is still working in your life. As Christians, we know how the story ends. That God has not abandoned us. That God has not forgotten us. That God is faithful to us. That His promises are always true. Christians know how the story ends. Before we need to be patient. And that ties us into James' fifth and final point. Guess what it is patience. But above all, he says, my, my brothers, and so he's, he's tying all this in together. Um, and so he's kind of connecting it all. Uh, he says, but above all, so he's talking about patience. My brother, do not swear. So the key to suffering is patience. And when he says swear, he doesn't mean cussing. Um, what he means is actually saying something that you don't intend to do or acting in ways against your integrity. So he says, do not swear or make promises um, that you do not intend to keep either by heaven or by earth um, or by any other oath. Let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. And what I love about James is that no matter what he is um, teaching us on or talking to us about, that James is constantly pointing back to his big brother Jesus. And James is actually quoting Matthew chapter 5 um, in the Sermon on the Mount where, where he says, um, let your yes be yes and let your, let your no be no. And so here's what I discovered. That when I'm suffering or when I'm stressed, I tend to act in ways that are contrary to my character. Anyone else? That, that when, I'm, when I'm hurting or when I'm going through hardship, I, I act in ways and I'm like, why did I say that? Why did I do that? I didn't mean to do that. I, I have no clue why I'm acting this way and that's because um, suffering tends to bring out the worst in us. That, that our life is kind of like a sponge and, and the, the stress wrings out all of that junk that's on the inside and then it's and then it's exposed. And here's what we what we do: we we tend to give up. That way when hurts or when hardships or when difficulty comes our way, we say, I'm done. And, and we give up on our commitments, and we we no longer live according to our character, and we we lose sight of our integrity, and then we, we quit. Some of the life's most painful moments come because people quit too quickly, give up too early, and it causes you to grieve very deeply. Because we We tend to quit. So life is hard, quit your job. Life is difficult, quit your friendships. Give up on your relationships, Then you give up on your responsibilities. Because life is hard, and and we tend to quit. And here, James is telling his church, you need to be patient. Don't give up so quickly. Don't don't lose hope so fast. You're going to need to be patient. And so, when you have said something, do it. If you've given a commitment, you need to honor that commitment. If you've, if you've given someone a yes, then you need to keep your yes and, and don't, don't give up. But if you've said no, then you need to continually say no to that thing. So those of us who are married, you made a vow to your wife, to your husband, remember your yes. Right. E- even, when, even when one of you is sick or you're sick of each other, okay, remember your Yes. Those of us who become members of a church, when someone grumbles against you, when someone disagrees with you, okay, you need to remember your yes. That you can disagree, and it need not bring division, but you need to honor that yes. And for those of us who have said yes to Jesus, we need to keep saying yes every single day, saying yes to Jesus, to follow Jesus, to serve Jesus, to love Jesus. And every yes you give to Jesus is also a no to sin. Say, no, that's not who I am anymore. That's not how I'm going to live anymore. That's, that, that's, that's not me. I don't want to do that. That's my old self. That's my old life. Those are my old passions. I'm going to, I'm going to continually say yes to Jesus. To say, to say no to sin is to repent. To say yes to Jesus is to walk in relationship. If you have given your yes to Jesus, don't say no. Don't turn your back on Him. Don't walk out on Him. Continually say yes. Yes. So James is saying, you need to be patient. That God's not finished with you. Your story's not over. God's not done working. Don't give up. Don't give in. Don't walk away. Don't turn your back. Keep persevering. Remain steadfast. Keep moving. Keep striving. Keep moving forward. And just because you're a Christian, it doesn't mean it doesn't hurt. It doesn't mean that you don't believe. It doesn't mean you don't walk with the lip. It just means we don't quit. That's what it means to be a Christian. And James is saying, you need to be patient. His life's not over. See, God is patient towards us. You know, God gives you a yes. How many of you are thankful that God says yes? And God doesn't take away his yes, he doesn't turn his back on us. It's not like God's up in heaven going, okay, um, yes, 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 no. He doesn't do that. It's not like God's going, okay, you get Jesus, and no, no, never mind, you don't get Jesus. I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. No, nope, no Holy Spirit for you. You don't deserve the Holy Spirit. He doesn't do that. He's not like, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. You did what? Done. Right? That's, not, that's not the God we serve. Our God gives us His yes and He honors His yes. He's always right there with you. He's always working for you. He's always loving you, merciful, compassionate towards you as His people. Listen, when you woke up this morning, I know that none of you are like, I hope to hear the sermon over suffering. Right? Nobody did that. Nobody's like, I hope the pastor talks about how terrible my life is because I really need to be reminded. And then let's just throw patience in on top of it because everybody knows Christians pray for patience. Right? Here's the deal. Nobody did that. Nobody likes the sermon over suffering. But you need it. Because all of our life is like this Jenga game. That the burdens pile up That life becomes uncertain, uneasy, unsure. We're overworked. We're overwhelmed. We're overburdened. And in life, it has this tendency to build and to build and to build until eventually it all comes crashing down. Friends, we all suffer. We all have suffered. Everyone will suffer again. It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of how. How do we suffer? James says we need to be patient. Because in this life, there are hurts, there are hardships, there are difficulties, there are depressions. Friends, not even our Lord Jesus was immune to suffering in His life. See, nobody suffered more than Jesus has. That, that Jesus experienced His life just as you and I, minus one way, that He was without sin. So Jesus knows. Some of you, um, you experience chronic pain in your life. Jesus experienced pain. Pain at the end of his life he understands that some of you um, estranged families Jesus knows Jesus' family betrayed him his entire life some of you have friends who have stabbed you in the back Jesus knows same thing happened to him some of you are, are single and you're, you're struggling hey Jesus was single Jesus gets it some of you you're, you're hurting and, and, and you're suffering and you're, you're walking through this life and, and Jesus is telling you today I know I know what it's like because because I suffered, friends. Nobody suffered more than Jesus. That all of our sin, whether it's emotional or, or or relational or or financial or physical or or spiritual, were laid on the shoulders of Jesus. That he was he was beaten and he was bruised and he was he was bloodied and that. He, He was mocked and ridiculed and He carried that cross. All of our suffering, all of our shame, all of our sin, He bore that burden. He carried that cross up to the point of Calvary where He breathed His last breath and said, it is finished. And He cried out so that way we can be saved from our pain, from our shame, and that we don't have to suffer alone. Friends, Jesus is Jesus is here telling you today, I know. I know. I know how bad it hurts. I know how much you've been betrayed. I I know what you're walking through. I know what you're going through. Because I died for that. And if you would just come to me, all you who are heavy laden, I'm really good at carrying burdens. I'm really good at carrying crosses. I've I've done it before. I can carry yours as well. If you'll come to me. and, And we can do this together. We'll walk together. We'll we'll journey this life together. That You don't have to be alone. But I'll be right here with you. And we can journey until the day that we are face to face and you are in the arms of the Lord and that all of your pain has been healed and all of your suffering will cease and that death will no longer be more. But until now, let my death be enough. Friends, the only thing worse than suffering is suffering alone. The only thing worse about going through life is to go through life without Jesus. Have you you trusted in Jesus today? Have you turned to Jesus today? Have you you surrendered to Jesus today? Have you given your life to Jesus today? Have you brought your hurts to Him? Have you brought your hardships to Him? Have you given Him your shame? Have you given Him your sin? Have you given Him your, your suffering? As your pastor, as your friend, I would beg with you, I would plead with you, don't let another minute, don't let another moment go by without trusting in Him. And so I'm going to give you an opportunity to do just that. Our band's going to come up and and we're going to move into our um, time of response. And we have a couple of different ways, but right now I really believe that some of you in this room, that you need this today. And so our prayer team is available for you, that you don't have to go through it alone. And we have a prayer team on either side of the room and they would love to pray for you. And they've been praying for you all week and they, they know what the sermon is going to be about. And so they've been preparing their hearts so they can help establish yours. And so please don't sit in your seats and just just kind of go about the rest of the gathering. Please take this moment. One of the only places that you can do this is in the church. You can't do this anywhere else. But you can do this in the church. And so right now we have this special moment, this beautiful opportunity for us to respond as the way that God is calling us to. So, so please respond the way that God is calling you to do. So we have our prayer team, they're available on either side. We're going to take communion in the same way that Jesus' body was broken through His suffering, shed blood in the cup. We're proclaiming the Lord's death until the day that He returns. There's a prophetic reminder when we take communion and the presence of the Spirit is with us. Then we're going to sing and we're going to celebrate because it takes our eyes off our situation, puts them on our Savior, and then we're going to give of our tithes and offerings so more people can come to know and serve and love the risen Lord and we'll establish a new community. So if you will stand with me. Redemption Church meets every Sunday morning on Crockett Street at the gig. If you would like to know more, you can find us online at www.redemptiontx.com or join us for one of our two services at 9.30 or 11.15 a.m. Sunday mornings in downtown Beaumont. Kids are welcome too. We are Redemption and we would love to meet you.